Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome into the Hard Count, the people show for every single thing that you know and that you love about college football. It happens here on a daily basis. The show that promises to respect and honor tradition. I'm J.D. Pacal. We're so glad that you are with us tonight. We got a lot to dive into. Week four of the college football season is upon us. We got some game previews for you. Three of them, a three count, if you will, a three by three. If you go in and out, know what that is. We're also going to give you some winners, five winners and an at your own risk. You know the drill for against the suits. I'm telling you, don't be a fan later. The bandwagon is going to fill up here pretty quickly. We're right below 500 right now. That just means we're due. That just means we're going to start trending upward and then boom, money for everybody. That's how this goes. Before we get into the game previews, before we make some money, we also got to talk about Bedlam because Bedlam as of right now is listed as doubtful about to jump into that. Also want to make sure I mention this. We're giving you our top 10 somewhere in between those against the suits and game previews. So make sure you're locked and loaded for that. But as I was saying, Oklahoma and Oklahoma State the Bedlam series is listed as doubtful when the Sooners leave for the SEC in 2025. A couple of thoughts I have on this that I want to open the show with. I get it, right? I get it. You got to get a bag. That's kind of what makes this thing run is dollars and bills, cash rules, everything around me creaming. You feel me? That's how this thing goes. I get it. However, what we as college football fans love so much is the rivalries, the traditions, the fact that your dad and your best friend's dad went to school together and the guy that they don't like went to Oklahoma State or went to Oklahoma, whatever it is. And for that reason, that rivalry means so much to you. Even more so, maybe your parents went to Oklahoma and they went to Oklahoma State. Like You get what I'm saying here. There's so much more than just the logos that are a part of this. And we're going to get some really fun matchups when Oklahoma does leave to the SEC. Don't get it twisted. I can't wait to watch Oklahoma-Auburn and watch Oklahoma-Alabama and all that. But for this series that's gone on for 112 years to not continue because of some greenbacks, come on, y'all. We're better than this. We're, we're so much better than just canceling a rivalry because Benjamin Franklin says so. I understand he calls a lot of shots, but we're better than this. We need to protect the piece of college football that's special, that's magic, the fabric of it. Because if we start just listening to the greenbacks, we're going to end up like professional sports. And that concerns me. I would also say this. I don't think this rivalry is gone for good. Because we saw this same sort of thing happen when Texas A&M left for the SEC now, obviously, Texas is going back to the SEC, so I guess it's sort of a problem solved. We're going to see Texas and Texas A&M play because they're in the same conference. Now, I don't know how Oklahoma State and Oklahoma get it done, but I genuinely believe, whether it's in 10 years, whether it's in 20 years, whether it's in five years, 
I think we're going to see this game played at some point in the future. So is it gone forever? I don't think so. But the fact that it's gone for the foreseeable future after 2025 breaks my heart. And I'll end it with this. The people making these decisions are the MBA types. They are the people that went to law school, that wear a suit and tie every day to work. They're not the people that are out there for four hours before the game tailgating. They're not the people that live and die by how their team does on Saturday. That's not the kind of tempo they're running over there. And again, I get it. I get that money calls the shots. But for people that aren't like you and me who are embedded into what college football really is, for them to be the ones that are deciding how this thing goes, I don't love it. So the fact that Bedlam's not continuing breaks my heart. We'll see it again someday soon. I truly believe that. But for the foreseeable future, past 2025, Bedlam, again, listed as doubtful. With all that out of the way, let's get to some game previews. Clemson goes to Wake Forest this Saturday. We've got a noon kick. Clemson favored by seven. This will be a fun interconference matchup, interdivision matchup, because if you remember correctly, Wake Forest has the belt for that side of the ACC. And Clemson, you better believe they want it back. We'll get to more of that in a minute. But what do you know about Clemson right now? Haven't played a ton of super formidable competition just yet. But the question marks that we had at the beginning of the year are still the question marks we have going forward. Now, Clemson's looked solid offensively. Don't get it twisted. They've looked solid, but we still want to see more progress and more continuity and even more so we want to see more points against better competition that's what we want to see will Wake Forest provide that remains to be seen but from a branding standpoint it's gonna whet our appetite there just ever so slightly now the narrative around Clemson right now is hey the offense is getting stale DJU what is he really doing I understand he's he's looked efficient hasn't thrown over 300 yards he's not lighting it up here's what I'm hearing as it re- as it pertains to the Clemson offense. Clemson, through these first few games, has tried to do two things. The first of which is build confidence around their passing game. So not show too much, which is the second thing, but they're trying to sort of get into a rhythm, get DJ, U- get DJ Ui Ungalale, it's a tongue twister, get him comfortable, allow him to sort of find his rhythm, And then, like I mentioned, that second piece is not show too much. So if it feels like Clemson isn't taking the governor off this thing, it's because they're not. Clemson has a lot more cards they're yet to show. Can you really blame them that they're not showing their cards against Furman? I don't. I don't think you should either. So that remains to be seen. But how much do we see from this Clemson offense against Wake Forest? Because like we talked about, they have the belt. They want to get it back. They're trying to take that thing back. Are they able to open it up offensively? And how much do they go full tilt offensively? I think remains to be seen. Will Shipley has been very quietly cooking. The running back for Clemson has been leading the charge. I'm just fascinated to see the balance that they approach this game with. Even more so, what are they forced to do offensively? Because I think some of that pertains to what Wake Forest does. If Wake Forest scores points, can Clemson answer? The big thing, though, is the Clemson defense. And we'll get to more of this in a minute when we talk about what Wake Forest does offensively. But I think the Clemson front seven, for good reason, is the storyline in this game. Because what do you know about Wake Forest? You probably have visions of that slow RPO. And it's not the normal RPO that you see where they're putting it in the running back's belly, take it out real quick, throw the slant. That's not how they get down. They do the 
slow, slow, slow mesh, almost to the point where they're at the line of scrimmage. And then at the last second, Sam Hartman gets out of there and throws the ball to whoever it is. As it pertains to Wake Forest, they make no apologies about who they're going to be. They're 93rd in the country in terms of percentage of the time they're running the football, meaning we could take it or leave it. We don't really want to run the football. Maybe they do want to run the football, but they haven't tried to run the football lately, at least. Sam Hartman is back in the saddle. Good to see him healthy and playing football again. When he's on, he's one of the best in the country. One of the most elite arms in the entire USA. So here's the hinge points for me when it comes to this game. Obviously, we kind of know the makeup of Clemson, kind of know the makeup of Wake Forest. Neither program has really played against elite ACC competition. Wake Forest got tested last week against Liberty. But here are the hinge points in this game. Does this become a track meet? And if it does become a track meet, what ultimately would have to happen for that to be the case? If it becomes a track meet, I think Wake Forest is scoring points, obviously. But even more so, that means the receivers at Wake Forest are winning their matchups. Because for all the strengths of this Clemson defense, the secondary has been opportunistic, but also been susceptible to the big play. And Louisiana Tech was an example of that. So do the wide receivers for Wake Forest win their matchups? If it's a track meet, they do. In addition to that, if it becomes a track meet and they're able to win their matchups, that also implies that the Clemson front seven hasn't been able to get to Sam Hartman. Now, that's a very big hinge point. That's a very big if, one that I have a hard time getting on board with. Because going back to that slow RPO, if you want to mesh, 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 mesh all the way into the line of scrimmage, well, there's a whole bunch of freak shows on that Clemson line of scrimmage that are ready to eat Sam Hartman up. All right? So, those are two very big hinge points. But if Wake Forest does score points, then that means Clemson's got to find a way to answer. And I think we learn a lot about Clemson if that does become the case. Ultimately, when it comes to this kind of game, I think that Clemson's able to just dictate their tempo. I think Clemson's going to take their time, hand the ball to Will Shipley. They feel good about what they have on the line of scrimmage. They're not going to be in a hurry. Sam Hartman, my guy, you got to watch a fair amount of this game. Because they're going to force Wake Forest to be essentially perfect offensively with what they're going to do possession-wise. I truly believe that. I think it will be one of those things where Wake Forest doesn't see the ball a whole lot. Clemson takes their time, and I also think we start to see the pass game click a little bit for Clemson. So all that's to say, a good test for Clemson. I think they have the attitude going into this game that we still have something to prove. Nobody's buying Clemson stock right now. Poor poor little old Clemson. We're on the Roy bus. All that in a bag of chips. You know the storyline. I think Clemson hits their stride. I think they win this game. I like Clemson to actually win this game pretty soundly. The line right now, as we mentioned, is Clemson minus seven. I think Clemson covers that. I like Clemson 34-21. The Tigers get it done on the road and take back what they feel is theirs. That'll be a really fun one to watch. Again, a noon kick. It's an ACC game. A good litmus test, I think, for both programs. But I like Clemson. I like the talent they have. And ultimately, I love what they have on the line of scrimmage. It's a line of scrimmage game. It's a theme that's going to come around quite a bit as we break down these matchups. Let's go to Knoxville. Florida will be going to Neyland Stadium to play Tennessee, and Tennessee is favored at 10 and a half, 11, depending on who you ask. This is an enormous game. College game day will be there. The eyes of the country will be there. There's huge implications for both sides. For Tennessee, you've lost 16 of the last 17 you've played against Florida. In a lot of ways, 
They've tried to downplay that part of it. Josh Heupel hasn't been there for a lot of those, obviously, but make no mistake about it. If Tennessee wins this game, is it program-defining? I don't know about that, but it would be season-defining to this point. It would be a stake in the ground for Tennessee to this point of saying, okay, we're here. We're here. All those things you used to say about the old Tennessee teams, you can go ahead and keep those to yourself because a new Tennessee is here in town, and we beat Florida. So how about that? For Florida, they're a team that has been very much so survive in advance, obviously kind of got, I don't want to say exposed, but they got hurt against Kentucky. I mean, Kentucky really had their way with them, went into the swamp, and put their stake in the ground. Obviously, Florida had that big week against Utah. And then last week against USF, we're watching that game saying the score is what? USF is doing what on the ground to Florida? Holy cow. I mean, I don't know how, much, how many of you watched that game, but USF, with a bad snap and a bad hold, they were pretty close to having a chance to tie that thing up in the final seconds. I mean, USF was in every sense of the word in that game. It's a credit to that program, credit to Gary Bohannon, the quarterback for USF. But all that's to say, with how much you have in stock at Florida, you should not be playing USF that close in the swamp. So when it comes to this game, if Florida can find a way to beat Tennessee at Neyland, I think it would calm a lot of the storms that are potentially brewing underneath at Florida, if that makes sense. It would quiet a lot of the concern around Anthony Richardson, around this offense. It would be a big deal. Enough talking. If Florida's going to win this game, there's a couple things that have to be shored up because they got some issues. The first issue is Ventrell Miller, your linebacker, is not playing in this game. And obviously, from a talent standpoint, that's a huge loss. Anytime you don't have big 51 on the field for you, that hurts. However, from even a probably more impactful perspective, he is the Wi-Fi of that defense. He gets the signal in, he communicates to everybody else, and it's quick. It's high-speed Wi-Fi. It's high-powered Wi-Fi. He makes sure that everybody's on the same page and everybody is connected. Last week against USF, you saw many a time that Florida defense looked just confused, out of sorts, not on the same page. Well, your Wi-Fi is out. That's why. And so can they correct that? Can they be better at that? I think ultimately what has to happen, you have to go to a more simplistic approach on defense. It's got to be, I don't want to say vanilla, but it's got to be basic in terms of a communication standpoint. We don't need seven or eight checks. We don't need to have a million different things that we have on the docket that week. We just got to make sure we're sound. And if that means playing a more simplistic scheme, I think that's what you got to do. Either that or have somebody else be the Wi-Fi and catch up quick, fast, in a hurry. On top of that, defensive depth is going to be a huge thing to watch in this game, especially with how fast Tennessee goes. They run a lot of plays. Third down, early third downs, will be crucial in drives for Florida because this defensive line, they're solid in that first group. However, as the game wears on, as they play more snaps, they're big boys. They get tired. The second unit isn't quite as strong as the first unit. That's why they're the second unit. But there's a bit of a drop-off there. And so for Tennessee, you want to sustain drives and be able to wear those boys out. But for Florida, getting off the field on third down early in the drive, not having a, okay, new set of downs, new set of downs, then we get off the field. It's nine plays. You don't want to get to nine plays in the drive and then finally get off the field. You want to get off the field on that first set of third downs and get out of there. 
Get your boys a rest. Get them some oxygen. Let them get their legs back underneath them because that's going to come back to bite you in the third and fourth quarter. Dan Mullen, the former head coach at Florida, didn't leave the cupboard bare. This is all per Nick De La Torre at Gators Online. He gave me this metaphor. He says, Nick, he said, uh, Dan Mullen didn't leave the cupboard bare, all right? He left some really solid pieces. There's a lot of good players on that defensive line. However, he just didn't leave it very much stocked. Meaning, you can have dinner with your wife or your significant other, whoever it is. You can have a dinner party, uh, probably three or four people. You just can't host a banquet. You can't do the 10 to 15 people coming over to your house. What I mean by that is there's good players on this roster, especially on the defensive side, but the depth is an issue. The depth is lacking. Will that lack in the future for Florida? I don't think so. I think Billy Napier is going to get enough guys in there to where they feel confident about what they have going forward. But in this game specifically, they need to find a way to minimize the snap count on those guys as much as possible. Jervon Dexter through three games, your big D tackle, got 150 plus snaps. Folks, that's not good. That doesn't bode well for stamina and consistency and ultimately just being able to get off the field. It's important to watch for. For me, this is probably the most important point in this game because a lot has been made of AR since the Utah game. Obviously put on a show in that game, really just announced himself to the nation. Since then, he struggled, thrown interceptions, hasn't been the same guy on the ground. And the narrative I'm hearing around Gainesville and really what they're saying at press conferences even is, hey, we don't have Jack Miller. It's a pretty big drop to our next quarterback. We need AR healthy. When AR is healthy, when AR is playing, we're in good shape. We give ourselves a chance. If AR gets hurt, and it sounds like he might be just a little bit dinged up, if he's hurt and he can't go, we're in trouble. And so it's crucial for us that we keep him healthy. Well, how do you keep him healthy? He doesn't run as much. And a player like Anthony Richardson, to not play to his strength of running the football, I think limits you substantially on offense. Here's what I'll say. You don't try and put a saddle on a wild horse. You let him run. And for AR, I think he needs to feel complete freedom to, hey, if the play breaks down, be safe, be careful, don't go trying to run over linebackers, but also don't play hesitant, don't play scared. If you see a lane and you feel you can get that first down or whatever it is, go, take off, do what you do. You don't ask Steph Curry to not shoot threes. You don't say, hey, Steph, only drive the lane, bro. For AR, same thing. You don't ask him to just sit back there and be a pocket passer. He can do that, I believe. He hasn't really put it on tape just yet. I think he's got enough arm talent to do it. I think it's under the hood. But I promise you, he will be a better passer if he's able to get the run game going. Because when that run game gets going for him, I think, one, he feels more in rhythm. And then, two, the defense has to respect it. Those linebackers, that spy is going to start to creep up a little bit more, going to get a little more trigger happy on trying to stop him from running the football. What happens? Guys get open downfield. So for AR, let that man cook. Take the governor off. Let him do what he does. Let him be special. Because if he can be special, that's how Florida has a chance in this game. That's what would allow them to be competitive in this game. Now, looking to Tennessee, we set the stage already. This is the one for them. This is the program defining to this point, at least. This is season defining. This would be a very big deal. They've tried to downplay it. I assure you, it is a big deal in Knoxville. You got Florida coming to town. 
You kind of got the juice, kind of got the swag about yourself. This is supposed to be the year. However, there are some health concerns around Tennessee. Cedric Tillman, reading message boards, which take that as reliable as you would like to take it. He's listed day to day. I would be surprised if he played, personally. So that is your number one receiver that you could potentially be without. Again, it's not confirmed. That's my feel on it. So whole lot of production. Hooker safety blanket, not playing in this game, likely, in my opinion. Let's assume you don't have him. So if you don't have Cedric Tillman, got to have another wide receiver to step up. We talked about it in the preseason. Can somebody else be that counter to him? Well, you're not the counter now. You're the main guy. You look to Jalen Hyatt, look to Brew McCoy. Those two cats need to step up in a big way in this game to keep with our health concerns. Dylan Sampson, Jabari Small, both are a little bit dinged up, to say the least. We don't know 100% what they look like going into this game. So with that being said, with how Josh Heupel's offense is, they know they have to run the ball to then open things up vertically. My question is, how long does that take? Even more so, who is that with? It sounds like they may need to ask a little more of Hennon Hooker in the red game. Because when that box starts to tighten up, more things become available downfield. And that's where Tennessee thrives. That's where they're in rhythm. So does that happen in the first quarter? You start to get some big plays and then you pop the top on Florida pretty much? Is that what happens where you kind of just hit it early, get going, get rolling? I think that's what needs to happen. What you want to avoid is you get into the second quarter, get into the third quarter. It's the third quarter. We're still trying to establish the run. and Our offense still hasn't really caught the tempo yet. Well, Florida's able to just play their game then. You're not putting pressure on Florida to score points. The way that this game gets out of hand is Neyland Stadium, the powder keg that it is, gets ignited by a quick Tennessee start. If Tennessee can get a few big plays in early, if Tennessee can get up 10 points, 14 points, kind of that sweet spot, well, then Florida, a team that struggled offensively, they start to press. Start to ask a lot more of AR than I think you really want to. They start to press. Pressing leads to mistakes. At that point... Things could get real out of hand in Knoxville. Things could get riled up quick, fast, in a hurry. The checkerboard stadium's going on. You got the power tee, all that. That would cater to a quick start, and a quick start could cater to that thing getting crazy. So I'm excited to watch that. Because defensively, you're going to ask Anthony Richardson to beat you, throwing the football. That's what you're trying to do. You're trying to make him a passer and just keep it all in front of you. You do not want him to go crazy Utah mode like he did. Keep it all in front of you. The hinge point for that is you then need your corners to win their matchups. Because if receivers are running wide open downfield, then we got issues in itself. We'll see what happens there, but that's something to keep an eye on, kind of food for thought. When it comes to our prediction for this game, I think Tennessee has waited a long time for a game like this. Again, in Neyland, Knoxville will be bumping Hennon Hooker. This is the game for him, in my opinion, where he makes a statement and gets even more national attention that I think he is due. I think they are able to do enough early in the run game to hit some big plays in the past game deep. I think you see a big game from Brew McCoy. I think this is Brew McCoy's coming out party, and they get fired up in Knoxville. So we like Tennessee to win this game. I like them to win this game and cover the spread by just a little bit, just a little bit, okay? So we're going to take them 
36-24. Tennessee wins that game in Knoxville. The party is rolling. And the party rolls here, too. There's sort of a party rolling theme going on in Knoxville and here on this show. So it works out great that way. But that would be huge for Tennessee. Again, is it program-defining overall? There's a lot of ball left to be played. There's some other games on their schedule they'd like to win. To this point, though, I think it would boost Josh Heupel's approval rate even more than it already is, which is saying something. One more game we got to talk about. Arkansas and Texas A&M set to tee it up in Jerry World. Texas A&M is a two-and-a-half-point favorite. That surprised me a little bit. Don't know if it surprised you. Arkansas struggled with Missouri State last week. Did not have an impressive showing. Texas A&M, huge bounce-back game. They're back against the wall. Gut check season after losing to App State. Play Miami at home. Big win. With Max Johnson at quarterback, mind you. A very big variable to keep an eye on. For Arkansas, if they're going to win this game, they need to figure it out in the secondary. Because they allowed 357 yards passing to Missouri State. They needed some extra magic late in that game to beat that team. Because Missouri State had them on the ropes, gave them all they could handle. And it wasn't like the offense wasn't clicking. The offense has been rolling for a minute here at Arkansas. They're averaging over 250 yards a game on the ground. Just on the ground, not, not as an offense, on the ground. So with what Texas A&M doesn't have in the run game, defensively at least, I think that's going to favor Arkansas a whole lot. If you just go back trading body blows for body blows, you could have issues. What I mean by that is the secondary can't allow for the big play to happen. You can't allow 300-plus yards from Texas A&M throwing the ball. Otherwise, all that run game is sort of for naught. You can have a 10-play drive where you get in the end zone and you run it eight times of that 10 plays, but if they're hitting it from a two-play quick-strike offense, you got issues. Now, that's also asking a lot of Texas A&M because Texas A&M has shown they've, they've had issues in the past game. Now, obviously, Max Johnson only has really one game of sample size, threw for about 140 yards last week, not lighting the world on fire, but you and I both saw it. Doesn't show up in the stat sheet, but Max Johnson driving this offense for Texas A&M looks so much more competent. They look they have so much more direction, looks so much more in control. I liken it to driving in a residential. They don't need him to go 80 miles an hour making sharp left turns doing donuts. What they do need to do is be able to have direction, go a steady speed, have a steady pace, stop at stop signs, and not turn the ball over. That's effectively what needs to happen for Texas A&M. You're saying no, duh. It's been more than they've been able to get in a recent sample size from Haynes King. But it looked good with Max Johnson. My question for Max Johnson and Texas A&M is, can they push the pedal down just a little bit more on that offense? Can they get just a little bit more out of him? Because they have some playmakers, right? We talk about it all the time. It feels like just the same song, fourth or fifth verse with Texas A&M. Anaya Smith, Evan Stewart. I don't know if he's back or not yet this week, but Evan Stewart, a guy that could have a big impact. They got a lot of playmakers on this team. Them being able to put the pedal down a little bit more on offense is very much predicated on what you can do on the offensive line. Because if they can't give Max Johnson time, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you have the best receiver on the outside. You can have Jerry Rice and Terrell Owens. It doesn't matter because you have a, half, a second and a half to throw the football. Okay? So 
the offensive line is going to be the hinge point for this game in my eyes for Texas A&M. If they can be improved there or scheme it up better there to where the ball is out of Max Johnson's hands quick and they get what they like from a pre-snap perspective, that could be crucial for this team. Now, don't make, don't mistake the the scheme here. I mean, Devon A-Chain, I think, needs to see the ball a very frequent amount. I think he needs to see the ball close to 20 times, whether that's on the ground, whether that's in the checkdown game, whether it's swing passes, he needs to see the ball early and often because he is your playmaker. And he also just quite frankly has the quickest access to the football. If you line him up in the backfield, you can throw those short passes. You can hand the ball to him. That will help loosen up a little bit and even maybe delay some of the pressure that Arkansas is going to be able to bring with their front seven. Now, what it comes to for me in this game, I think Arkansas is going to score. Like, Arkansas ultimately is a force on the ground, giving us no reason to doubt them on the ground. A&M have looked solid in terms of points allowed, but they have given up over 175 yards in each of their last two games against the ground. They gave up 27 first downs against Miami. Now, maybe you're saying, hey, that's great. Ben, don't break. Only gave up nine points. That's not going to be the case with Arkansas. Arkansas will make you pay in the red zone. Arkansas is a polished enough team, an experienced enough team, a physical enough team to where if you don't stop the run against them, they're going to force the issue. They are not going to take their foot off the gas. So what you think about this game when it comes to a prediction is largely predicated on what you believe about the Texas A&M offense. And to be fair, there's a whole lot we don't know right now. There's a whole lot of question marks and unknowns that we're as it pertains to Max Johnson, as it pertains to this offensive line, as it pertains to some of these playmakers and how much they'll be able to be involved, there's a whole lot we don't know. So whatever you believe is probably what you believe about this game. I think Arkansas is going to score, as I just mentioned. I have reservations about A&M based on what we've seen. Do they have the ability? 100%. Sticks of dynamite all over that offense. Can they get it into motion? I don't think so. So I think we see an improved AM offense even more than a, than a week ago, but I think Arkansas can just do too much running the football, can dictate the pace of this game, and I think Arkansas ends up winning this game 31-21. to The Hogs get it done for a second year in a row in Jerry World, and then we start to have those conversations around AM again. Whoa, hey, what's going on offensively? Whoa, hey, they have so many players. Why are they not scoring more than 21 points if that ends up being the case? Then the chatter kind of starts up again. And yet again for AM, you have to go back to the drawing board, reassess a lot about your program, whether it's on the defensive side or the offensive side, and that's where the chatter kind of starts. For Arkansas to win this game, I think it shows, okay, we bounce back from what we didn't do well a week ago. If they win this game, I think you see the defense come to play, at least the secondary, be a little bit more formidable. So a lot to watch here with both these programs, but excited to see how they show up. Again, we have Arkansas beating Texas A&M by 10 in Jerry World. So obviously we like Arkansas to cover that 2.5 as it's plus 2.5. We like them winning outright. We're going to move on to a new segment we haven't done yet on this show, but I feel like it's appropriate for where we are right now in the college football season. Everybody's got a list, right? You got the coach poll, you got the AP poll. Everybody has their own idea of what the college football hierarchy is. Well, we said, okay, we have a camera, we have a mic. 
We have the best producer in the game in Nick Brake. Let's give them our list. So here's our top 10. We're going to go from 10, work our way up to one in terms of the college football landscape, our college football rankings, if you will, our top 10. Without further ado, at number 10, we got Penn State. And Penn State sent a message to the entire country last week as they went into Jordan-Hare and put the hurt on Auburn. They may have effectively put the writing on the wall for Brian Harson. It's unfortunate, but with this formula that Penn State's been playing with, the last two weeks at least, Nick Singleton, Katron Allen, a lethal one-two punch, makes Sean Clifford's job a whole lot easier. This defense is unbelievable, at least what they put up against Auburn. Abdul Carter is a guy that Charles Power, director of scouting here at On3, was a lot higher on than the rest of the industry. So Charles Power saw him from the beginning and knocked this one out of the park as Abdul Carter is a guy that you're going to have to talk about for a long time in this sport when it comes to postseason accolades and the linebacker power rankings. All that's to say, physical brand of football, play, plat, excuse me, play fast, play tough. We like Penn State at number 10. At number nine, we like Kentucky. Really impressive against Florida. They play NIU this week, and then they go to Ole Miss. I think we learned more about that program when they play at Ole Miss. Obviously been impressed with them to this point in the season, Will Levis, a guy that a lot of people like in the draft world. I like what Kentucky's made of. They're good for number nine for us right now. Now, a team that we were just talking about, Arkansas, comes in at number eight for us. Survived a scare against Missouri State. I think good teams have the ability to win ugly. Now, the ugly part and the unfortunate part for Arkansas is the back end of this defense gives us some, uh, some trust issues, if you will. Allowed 350-plus yards passing last week. That makes me nervous. Makes me very nervous. They play A&M this week. You know how we feel about that game. But if A&M can exploit the explosive play, oh, boy. Maybe having another conversation this time next week about Arkansas. Sam Pittman is one of the most endearing coaches in all of college football. We love Sam Pittman, Pitt boss on this program. KJ Jefferson does a great job running that system at, Ar at Arkansas. They play tough. They'll be in every single game that they want to be in. Because of that, Arkansas comes in at number eight. At number seven, we got USC. And the Trojans are still a bit of a mystery to us because they haven't really been tested too, too much within the Pac-12 conference. No knock on USC, just kind of the nature of the beast. They make me concerned with what they have in that front seven. Now, the defense has been really opportunistic, forced a ton of turnovers. They consistently win the turnover battle. But what happens when they have to play a really physical team that sort of takes the offense off the field? I don't know if they stop the offense, but at least make the offense watch the majority of the game. What happens then? Can USC play that kind of football? I'm excited to see it. Because we haven't seen it yet from USC. October 15th, going to Salt Lake City to play Utah, is the game that we have circled on this program. So USC at number seven right now. We have our reservations, but the offense is ridiculous. Jordan Addison, Caleb Williams. I mean, name all the names you want to. They probably got them on their roster. A lot of points to be scored in Los Angeles. So USC is number seven for us right now. At number six, we got Clemson. Kind of a similar story that we've talked about with them before. The quarterback position has been serviceable, which is all they need, to be clear. That's all they need at Clemson. The defense is really good. Secondary is a little bit young and beat up, but they're really good in that front seven. How far they go will be predicated on what they get from the quarterback position and ultimately from the receiver position. Because being able to go vertical for Clemson is sort of the last ingredient we need to see there. 
if they can stretch the field and they can be explosive on offense, that defense is going to be able to take care of business. So a good test this week at Wake Forest to learn more about them. I anticipate them winning that game. But as of this week, we got Clemson at number six. At number five, number five and four is where we're going to get some pushback. We have the Michigan Wolverines at number five. And it is not to knock anything they've done so far. I believe now in J.J. McCarthy wholeheartedly. I think he gives them the best chance to go deep or as deep as they did a season ago, at least. With him at quarterback, they have the most potential and the most excitement. The reason they're at five for us is because they've done it against probably some of the, I hate saying this, some of the worst competition in college football. So apologies to Colorado State, UConn, and Hawaii. But the sample size for me is still pretty watered down from that. Now they've taken care of business to their credit. What happens when they start playing more formidable competition? That's what I want to see. Until we do see that, they're at number five for us. At number four, we have Oklahoma. Now, remember what I said about Michigan. UConn, Hawaii, Colorado State. I promise you, if Oklahoma played those three teams, it would be the same result that Michigan got. So no knock on either program, just the way this thing has shooken out so far. Nebraska, say what you want to say about them. They were in a very dangerous position when Oklahoma came to town. They had just fired their head coach, and they were in a spot where they had nothing to lose. And they could have been a very irritating pain in the side for Oklahoma that day. What did Oklahoma do? Came in, took care of business, got out of there with a W. Very definitive, very businesslike. And no flinch in the Sooners. So are we overly impressed by them beating Nebraska? No. By the way, they did it. I think that says something about the Sooner team. At the end of the day, Nebraska, for my money at least, is a better win than some of the wins that Michigan has. So we, we like Oklahoma. We like the way they did it. They're at number four on our top ten. At number three, we got the Alabama Crimson Tide. They faltered a little bit against Texas. A win is a win. Went into Austin and got it done. Took care of business against ULM. Bryce Young threw two picks. We're being nitpicky. It's early. This will all get settled out as the season wears on. They're at number three for us. One through three, you really are just sort of trying to find blemishes here on this schedule for these teams. I mean, there's no real weakness from Alabama unless you want to point at the secondary and what happened in Austin. Maybe I would buy that. Is that a huge concern for us over here? Not just yet. I'm not going to beat a dead horse. Alabama's the number three in the country. Obviously control their own destiny. If they run the table, like I think a lot of us expect them to, they'll play in Atlanta and they'll probably play the Georgia Bulldogs. Number two, we got Ohio State. I have them ahead of Alabama because of game one. And Notre Dame has been what Notre Dame is. In that game, they were a highly ranked team. And we saw Ohio State win without Jack Smith and Jigba and without scoring 40, 50 points. We saw Ohio State win ugly. I know it was at home, and I know it was against Notre Dame, and that win doesn't have as much shine as it used to at that point in the year at least, but I was still impressed by that. I think that still told us a lot about Ohio State. Notre Dame, don't get it twisted, played their best game of the season in that game. I mean, it is what it is, folks. Notre Dame came in there, gave them all they could handle. Ohio State got it done, and they've been churning along ever since. 77 points against Toledo. That's hard to do, even in NCAA 14. For those of you that are fans of the NCAA video game, we're back very soon. Nonetheless, we got Ohio State at number two on our countdown, or our count up, I guess it would be, in our top ten. At number one, we got the Georgia Bulldogs. To quote Connor McGregor, 
the heavyweight champs do what they want. They've done whatever they wanted. I still have visions of what they did in Atlanta to Oregon because it was so traumatizing for me to watch. I didn't have a dog in the fight, no pun intended. But Georgia has been in control and commands Stetson Bennett looks improved, which is saying something for how long he's been at Georgia. The offense is a little bit more of a throw-it-around-the-yard kind of flavor. Could be dangerous for the rest of the country if they continue to fire on all cylinders like I think we expect them to. The defense has been ferocious, to put it lightly. I don't see any weaknesses within this team just yet. Excited to see them play some other games down the road as the season wears on. And if they do have to go to their curveball, they don't have their fastball that day. I'm excited to see that. Do we see that until Atlanta? I don't know. But Georgia, for us, is the best team in the country as of today. So to recap, we got Penn State at 10, Kentucky at 9, Arkansas at USC at 7. We got Clemson at 6, Michigan at 5. Don't be upset. We got Oklahoma at 4, Bama at 3, Ohio State at 2, and the Georgia Bulldogs are number 1 for us this week in our top 10. Now that could always change, obviously. The beautiful thing about college football is it changes every single week. Rent is always due on Saturday. you got to pay it. Otherwise, bad things happen. Let's go to a 12-team playoff here very soon. Then rent's due every couple of weeks. And if you lose a game or two, it doesn't matter. I think you know where I fall in the playoff, but we're not going to do that right now. That's probably for another time. So we're going to wrap this thing up with our gambling segment against the suits. If you're new to the program, I'll keep it very brief. The people in Vegas that put these lines together wear a suit and tie every day of the work. They're not like you and I. They don't have that blue-collar gene in them. doesn't exist. They're not like us. So, with that being said, we are against those people in suits. We're going to take back what's ours. We're going to win back some money. We're below 500 right now. I'm not hiding from that. This is the week. All right? Circle the wagons. Huge week for the good guys. Let's go get back what's ours. Starting off, again, we already previewed. We like Arkansas plus two and a half against Texas A&M. Listen, Arkansas is going to absolutely pound the rock. A&M's run defense hasn't shown me they can stop it. In the last two games, giving up over 175 yards each game. We like Arkansas, Woo Pig, plus two and a half. Take that one to the bank. Next, we like JMU plus seven against App State. JMU covering like it's their job, covering like a blanket, whatever metaphor you want to put to it for them covering. They've done it. App State won in Hail Mary fashion last week. The week before, they upset Texas A&M. The adrenaline and the emotion has been so high in Boone, North Carolina. I think we see a small letdown from them this week. Does JMU win the game? I don't know. Do they cover seven? You bet your bottom dollar. Next game, this is a fun one to talk about. Kansas minus seven and a half against Duke. Now, this is a great basketball game. I think it'll be a good football game. I dream of the day where we get a four-team college playoff where you got Kansas, you got Duke, you got UConn, you got Arizona. One day. Maybe not, but it's fun to talk about. Nonetheless, we like Kansas minus seven and a half. We're drinking the Kool-Aid. Don't think Vegas has them figured out. They're not figuring them out this game. Kansas minus seven and a half, taking it to the bank. Our next game is a tale as old as time. The Pirates against the Navy. Eastern Carolina minus 17. We like that one a lot. Eastern Carolina showed us something early in the week. Excuse me, early in the year. They've put some good things on tape. We like Eastern Carolina a lot. Minus 17. The Pirates got some juice about them. Navy has just been abysmal. 
0-2 to start the year. Pirates roll. They cover that 17. Our last game, we like Minnesota minus three against Michigan State. Listen, Minnesota has been an ATM for us as of late. They just cover, cover, cover. I mean, you just print money essentially with them. P.J. Fleck, row the boat, go Gophers, all that in a bag of chips. We like Minnesota to continue this covering streak going and to beat Michigan State. Michigan State has got some problems down there in Lansing. Tuck said as much at his press conference. He said there's some personnel changes coming. I think that bodes well for the Gophers. They cover that three points. Now, the last one for us, you know how this works. We always give out our at-your-own-risk pick, meaning we're taking it. If you want to tail us on this, we encourage you to do so. But for us, we like Rutgers plus 7.5 against Iowa. Iowa is, to my understanding, still figuring out how to do the forward pass. That's still something they're working on. I don't think Iowa scores enough to win by eight points. You can fade us, you can follow us, but we take Rutgers plus seven and a half. That's our at-your-own-risk pick for the week. So to recap, our against-the-suits lineup is Arkansas plus two and a half against AM, JMU plus seven against App State, Kansas minus seven and a half against Duke. It's not a basketball game, but we still like it. ECU minus 17 against Navy, Minnesota rowing the boat minus three against Michigan State, and Rutgers plus seven and a half against Iowa. Make you some money, spend it however you like. So that's it for us here on The Hard Count. I never exactly know what to say to end these things. We don't script it out. This entire show is ad-libbed with some notes, but every time we finish a show, the overwhelming emotion that I feel is gratitude to be able to do this for a profession and for you to watch. So thank you so much for watching. The community and the just overall team feel that this thing has for us is second to none. And so would encourage you to join that. Subscribe to the channel. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram to stay with every single thing that we're doing here. We want you a part of this. We want you along for the ride. So thank you for making this so special. Thank you for allowing us to do this here. We're going to keep the party rolling. We will see y'all next time. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.